0: 17th of July 2019. It's been probably about a month since I've done a podcast, but uh thought I'd get, uh, get going again. It's been busy. I've been away on holidays and also the start of the financial year. Um, but I've got an interesting uh, guest with me again, uh, Ben Brett from Bounce Financial. I got that right?
1: That's correct. How are you going, Tim? And how uh, how are you going, uh, audience listeners?
0: Excellent. Um, yes, I've been... Um, You're yeah, very... It's, Obviously, I haven't even known you for a short while, probably the last uh, three to six months. Uh, you've come along to a few Kevin Book business uh, yes. group uh, meetings. You're, you're situated here right in the valley, so we can safely say, you know, the valley... From
1: the valley, that's probably the valley fair.
0: ...is uh, fair for now. So um, I guess what I first get from you is whereabouts were you born, uh, Ben?
1: Uh, so I was actually born in Sydney. I'm a, uh, a Sydney guy. Um, we moved here when I was five. So uh, I consider myself a Brisbane person um, because I've been here my entire life.
0: Now you sort of told me that you're not sort of into sport, but do you sort of barrack for Queensland in state of origin or do you barrack for yourself?
1: I do barrack for Queensland. I've lived here since I was five, so I feel like a a Queenslander through and through.
0: Excellent. So tell us a bit about early life. You obviously moved here when you were five you said. Um, Whereabouts did you first move to when you got to this area?
1: So, we moved up from Sydney, uh, and we moved to an island, a uh, Bribey Island, um, which yep. is about an hour outside of Brisbane, um, and I actually spent my whole childhood there, so I didn't move from Braby Island until I was uh, 19, 20 years old to go to university. Um, so, it's a very quaint little island, and it's very different, I think, from uh, many places that you'll grow up. So, 14 years of your
0: life on the island, is that right? Yes, so, yes. Wow.
1: And, and Braby Island actually has an interesting... Um, Title in that it's it's the oldest place in Queensland. So the average age, I think, at the time I was there, was about sixty-five years old. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so as a young whippersnapper coming up in a in a small island with a lot of elderly people around, there wasn't a whole lot to do.
0: And what did your parents sort of get up to? What did they do on the island? What did they do for a living?
1: So uh, my mum had some odd jobs. Um, I think she worked as a teacher's aide for a while. She worked as a cleaner for a while. Um, she ended up working as a um, Uh, uh, like a uh, a nurse's assistant. Uh, My dad worked largely in sales roles. So he had a lot of real estate roles growing up. um, But as I got a bit older, he sort of moved into like the beverage industry. Um, So so situated mainly on the island or sort of? No, no. So uh, employment is pretty poor on the island. Yes. Um, So yeah, generally they had to commute. And I think my, my dad would commute Generally, to sort of Brisbane, but because it was a sales rep, wasn't a huge issue. They were sort of driving all day. Um, it's not uncommon for them to to live in a bit of an odd place.
0: Yeah. Fun fact: uh, my wife actually lived on Broby Island for a very, well, a very short period of time before she met me. Actually, oh really? She was living there at the time uh, when I met her. Well, and, um
1: everyone knows everyone on Broby Island, but she so wasn't there for
0: a long time. So okay. it was, we're talking probably six months. That she was actually there, but she she was a, a sales rep at the time. She yeah, was okay. uh, working in fast moving consumer goods, so um, I, can, I can I can attribute that she did quite a lot of travel, travel and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, but uh, so I guess what did, what did you sort of think about Braby Island growing? Was did you actually enjoy the life there? Did you find that it was it was sort of um, amongst elders a lot of the time and <laughs> and. Uh, and nature and, and that sort of thing?
1: So I think, uh, like all young people, you don't really appreciate what you have until you until you leave it. So, you know, as a young person, I was pretty keen to move, pretty keen to move away from Bravi Island and uh, see the world. Um, but as I get older, I start to appreciate how beautiful it was and how much, uh, I guess, there is in, in a place like that. Um, and I guess... Uh, how nice it was to be able to grow up there and, and be able to experience that lifestyle that involves the beach
0: and surfing and things like that did you sort of do much surfing on the at uh, Worm and those sort of places
1: yeah so so Worm is not really known for its surf it's, it's got pretty abysmal surf um,
0: but where, where would be the best place to surf if someone was surfing in that in that area
1: so if you have a four-wheel drive you can go up the beach Uh, and the the further you move up the beach the more you sort of get out of the protection of morton bay which prevents the waves from coming in and and the waves start to get a bit better so when i hit those teen years you know we would would have friends with four-wheel drives and we would try and head up the beach and and do a bit Mm. of surfing but not to say i'm a good surfer i'm i'm quite poor but um sort of
0: more boogie board or more stand-up
1: uh, I would do both. So, I would bodyboard okay. um, generally when the waves are a bit bigger because I am such an average surfer, but um, with the surf uh, being a bit small, i generally pull out the surfboard and see how i go. go.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I'm actually more of a snowboarder. I, I quite like snowboarding.
0: Yeah, and so when you sort of grew up and sort of left the area, I guess for the first time when you were 19, did the parents follow suit or did they stay to the island?
1: So they stayed there for a good sort of five to six years after that um, and then they moved to the Sunshine Coast. So yeah. we've always been sort of a coastal family. That's a bit yeah. of a thing for us. I think my parents came from um, uh, Blacktown in Sydney, so I think they, they, <laughs> yes. they were done with the, the inner city urban <laughs> sort of thing. They had some interesting stories of living in that place. Um, so I think they're happy to have a bit of a coastal change.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, and and you also, whereabouts do you sort of live in proximity to
1: here? Sort of... So I I've been a north side person my yep. my uh, entire life. I'm very unfamiliar on the south side. So I uh, my wife and I bought a house at Silmere, um probably a couple yes. of years ago now. Yep. Um, and so yeah, we commute into the valley, which is a pretty direct
0: run down Sandgate Road because and train's not too bad. There's only station, isn't there? Yeah,
1: that's yeah. correct. And we're quite near it. So uh, yeah. that was that was a bit of a non-negotiable for me when looking for a house is I need, I need a train because I do yep. enjoy the old beverage after work and uh, yeah. I can't it's be driving way, home. It's a way to get home, isn't it? <laughs> For sure.
0: Oh, it's good that you enjoy a beverage anyway. Um, <laughs> I've been known to. <laughs> good stuff, Ben. Um, I guess... So tell us uh, a, a bit about the um, university at QUT. And obviously you... You've, come, you've obviously not always a financial planner. Obviously, you're sort of more newer to that, aren't you? Yeah. Because so, uh, you obviously did a lot of studies in law. and uh, That's and, correct. And, and did some law roles. You know, you worked, worked at McCulloch-Robertson.
1: Yeah, that's correct. So, I when I left high school, I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, so, I went to university and started studying law direct there. Um, about two years into my degree, I sort of... I wavered a bit and was a bit unsure about what I wanted to do with my life, so I took a little bit of time off uni and I started working in a law firm. Um, I've got I got an entry-level job. I was just looking for anything that I could do, um, and my entry-level job was as a typist in a personal injury firm. So uh, the lawyers would dictate the letters, um, they'd put them through a little system, and then I would go ahead and type them all up.
0: Was well, that whilst you're still a QT? Or?
1: Yeah, so that was during the time that I had stopped um, going to uni, um, but I did... After I worked in that role for a while, I sort of got promoted and, and, and sort of got to work a bit in the law and realised I actually really liked it um, and went back to uni from there.
0: Yeah. So, so um, and obviously you said had a few different um, jobs, uh, but let's sort of keep going with QT a little bit. Um, yeah. Absolutely. What did you, I mean, that certainly is um, one of the most well renowned universities in Australia and it's got a fairly good rating in the world. Um, tell us about uh, what you, how you sort of found, I guess, learning at QUT. Did you think it was suitable and did you get a lot out of it? And, yeah. Uh, was any sort of experiences?
1: I think I... It was weird. When I was in high school, I had one goal, and that was to get into law school, like to, to, to get the OP to get into law school. And I don't think I'd given a whole lot of thought to what was going to happen after that. So the, the once I was in, I think I was a little bit lost about what it is I was trying to achieve and I think that's why I sort of ended up you know having a year off and having some time off um because I just I really didn't gel with you you know I mean I liked it I excelled at it I've always enjoyed learning and whatnot but I struggled to see the real world application of some of the things we're doing you know we were looking at 150 year old cases about you know complex trust arrangements that you know I I didn't really have a, a huge grasp of at that time having you know just come out of school um so, you know, I think at first it didn't really gel with me. Um, but what I did is once I started working in that law firm, I, um, I then decided, look, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take some more time off. I travelled to London. I worked in a law firm there. Um, and then when I came back... So what, um, what uh,
0: year were you over in London?
1: So I think I left for London in 2007. Um, I spent about a year there. So not, not a huge amount of time, but I had the opportunity to work at um, a, a really large... Law firm there. Um, it's called Hogan Lovells now. Um, I think at the time it was the sixth largest law firm in the world. It was, it was a fascinating place to work. Coming, coming from a small town like Braby Island, I am suddenly working at this 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 massive uh, firm, and you know they've got uh, gyms and bars and restaurants and hotel rooms in the actual workplace. So it was a bit of a, it was a bit of an eye opening experience about what the world can look like. And, and I think. Uh, when I came back from that, I had a better sense of how the world sort of fit together a bit more and I started to see what how I was learning at QT and how that would fit into my future career. And I think that's where I sort of embraced it a bit more and it definitely showed in my grades. Uh, my grades definitely picked up towards the end of my yeah, degree. Yeah, I found
0: that as well. my grades picked up in the, latter, in the last couple of years yeah. at university. So it's always good. Sometimes it takes a while, doesn't it? sort
1: of... It's just understanding how, and, how it all fits together. Really,
0: when you get there, it's 18, 19, you're very young. Yeah. Um, you know, as a mature age student, you'd always probably do a bit better if, if that was a given, but um, you always got to do these things whilst you're young a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, so, obviously a bit of, you know, corporate lawyer background as well, um, and obviously a few different places you work cover tell us a bit about uh, working in-house there was that, was yeah that interesting job? so my
1: first sort of uh, my first sort of jobs in the law were more litigation mm. so litigation if you don't know what it is is essentially people suing each other i would represent parties if they were either suing someone or they were being sued um and uh, having worked for that first job in a personal injury firm that's what that is is they will sue an insurer you know for money for someone who's suffered an injury right Um, so then what i started to do is work for different insurance companies work cover queensland was one of them i worked for Um, and what i would do was i would defend work cover when somebody was injured at work and they then subsequently sued their employer and their employer was insured through work cover so it was an interesting experience the litigation time i got to do some very interesting things Um, so yeah it was it was quite good
0: okay interesting so Uh, And then McCulloch Robertson, that's obviously a fairly big firm here in in the city in 2012. um, I've known quite a few people that have worked there in the past, Um, had a couple of them actually on the podcast, uh, believe it or not. Uh, I'm not sure if they would have been there. That's about when they were leaving, about 2012. Okay. The estate planning lawyers and uh, that sort of thing, they were sort of all leaving um, doing the st- 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 stuff, starting up their own thing in View Legal.
1: Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I would know them because
0: I do deal with View Legal from t- uh, time to time at the moment. So, yeah, so Matthew yeah. Uh, Burgess. Yes, yeah. we uh, have had him on the podcast uh, last year, so he's an interesting character. Yeah. Um, but yeah, very bit of a visionary as well. Um, mm. I guess, who were some of your mentors in the legal space? Did you have sort of any mentors that you sort of looked up to as a a lawyer?
1: Yeah, yes and no. So, I mean, in terms of mentors, I definitely had people throughout my career that have just helped me a lot um, in terms of I think sometimes people talk about mentors like this one person that they've followed um, whereas for me I, mean multiple people yeah it's well. been multiple people in small pockets you know I think you can always learn something from somebody yep. um, and I've always been very blessed that you know if, if you take the time to listen to people they will share a lot of wisdom um, and so I've been quite lucky in that regard um, in terms of naming names you know it's just a long list of, of different people I've either worked with or come across or you know, had had the chance to uh, spend time with, so yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, um, what about? Uh, I guess how we sort of met was networking. Have you sort of um, prior to sort of uh, us meeting earlier, and I guess earlier in the year it was. Yes. Um, had you sort of done much networking in your professional life? Had you sort of been part of any sort of uh, uh, organisations? Or yeah. Sort of been on different things.
1: So my networking um, has been. Uh, I guess I would describe it as sort of unstructured. Um, you know, I've always sort of networked because I think that's such an important part in, in careers, but but never sort of had that that set, you know, this is the place I always go and I always network. Um, as, you know, I, I moved out of law uh, about a year ago and joined um, the business that my wife and I had set up five years ago. Um, and we can talk about that in a second. Um but obviously, moving out of law or moving into your own business, it's, it's very important that you know people, you know, in your in your area. Um, not just about getting business for yourself, but also we have a lot of clients that have a lot of needs. Um, and if we can be that connecting piece, if we can help them, that's, you know, that's the people I want to know, Yeah. Yeah,
0: excellent. And, I mean, I guess, do you have any... What was quite interesting recently was with, with that uh, Kindred Brook Business Group, where I guess uh, Peter Lattermore sort of featured you as one of the the people on his uh, yes yeah. question list. What did, what did you think of that experience? Is that something that you enjoyed? Or? I,
1: I loved it. I, I, Peter's such a great guy. He's so uh, he's so kind and so nice. Um, so I think it was a really great experience. And I think you know sometimes. We're always talking business and we're always talking, you know, what's the next thing in business? But sometimes it's good to to just talk about our, our you know, our personal lives and, you know, what we're up to and realise that everyone's human, everyone's trying to do the same thing. So, yeah, I quite liked it. But how, for, how
0: do you, you always them? You always find some interesting things out about people and it's sort of, I guess, it uh, <laughs> can steal some stuff from if you're trying to do a podcast about something. Like <laughs> you're finding out that information. But it's always interesting. It always comes up with some interesting... Little funds and facts about you know who was a you know rides on the back of horses and who because was it you the horses or was no
1: I'm or? definitely not a horse person no. um, I think that was someone else I yeah. can't remember it was it Marcel perhaps yeah I
0: think it was actually Marcel um, was all, yeah. But yeah, so.
1: um, I did try and throw some things in for Peter to use that I thought would be odd. So, that typist comment, I was kind of hopeful that people would think that was someone else because, you know, the idea of a. I'm relatively young, I guess, like 33 years old, I think. Um, So, the idea of me being a typist is probably less common than others, but, you know, the legal industry is really behind, so (laughs) they still do typists.
0: Yeah, so um, I guess that puts you born in the mid 80s. uh, do you sort of is it is music a passion? Do you like listening to music at all? Is there anything that you I guess any whatever hobbies that you sort of have?
1: Yeah, so I, I do like music, and um, as a young man, I was actually really into music. Um, I, I definitely would attend a lot of concerts. Um,
0: what sort of concerts?
1: Uh, generally, I was a bit of a like a a, a, a punk music sort of thing and less sort of 70s punk and more sort of 90s 2000 punk which was a little bit different 90s, yeah. yeah um but i think as i've gotten older my my music tastes have definitely expanded i mean that so what sort of what are you listening to now then? just everything um the joy of spotify is you can just give everything a go i think you know back when i was younger there was such a commitment to um getting into a band you had to buy an album and you know hope you liked it so you sort of kept to a very narrow range um whereas today you know i'll just i'll let anything go so i was just listening to um the wombats before the i the, love the, wombats, the english uh pop i'm going to describe them as maybe a pop band um
0: it's um it's it's, it's yeah it's rock um yeah but murph is uh, the lead singer of, of wombats uh he's got his own little project i don't know if you heard ah, does he yeah, so look up love, fame, tragedy. That's uh, Murph from from the Wombats. Yeah, okay. Um, he's only just sort of gone out. He's sort of gone. I guess he's going out in his own direction from a couple of the other band members, but they do that, this for a while sometimes. No doubt they'll get back together at some stage. Yeah, for
1: and, sure. Uh, well, that's the hugest. Have you, you ever seen them live? I have not, no. So kind of... When I was younger, I went to uh, probably live concerts maybe once every two weeks. Like, I was always Jeez, at them. Um, yeah, very, yeah. very,
0: very regularly. Um, you know, we'd what's go... The, probably the, um, what's the most memorable uh, concert that you've been to that you can... Or at least one or two, maybe? Um, so it
1: kind of... Depa- like... So we used to go to, like, Wednesday night hardcore nights, which is, like, a really heavy metal sort of type of music. Um, and there were these these really underground little things that were held in, like, this Mar- the Mary Street Bar. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, um, I do remember
0: Mary Street back in the day, actually. Yeah. The-
1: and they used to have these things, and they, they hosted a few bands that later on became really big bands that you just would never have seen in tiny little rooms and things like that. Um you know, I saw a lot of bands at a place called The Arena that used to exist in the valley, but um, sadly that place has gone now. To, well, I think it still exists. I think it's an R&B club now, which is probably not the same. <laughs> um, but, yeah, lo- lots of the bands I've listened to, I guess, they're, they're not always super well-known, but, um, yeah. yeah, I've definitely seen a lot of What do you reckon
0: the best sort of, you know, fairly well-known um, concert that you've been to that's sort of memorable? Mm.
1: I really enjoyed. it. I don't know if you've heard of a band called Death Cab for Cutie. Yes,
0: yeah. Yeah, so
1: they're pretty big. Like, they're pretty well-known. So, um,
0: Death Cab for Cutie, um... I've had these other ladies on the podcast, actually. They really love, um, Death Cab for Cutie as well. So, I don't know if you've ever met them, but, um, you probably enjoy having a conversation with them. Um, Kathleen Maloney and Sam Perrin from Downtown Creative Studios.
1: Ah, okay, no, I've never met them, but, yeah. Uh, So, they,
0: they used to frequent, um... Years back, they sort of frequented the KBBG oh, yeah. events, and now obviously they sometimes you grow out of things. Uh, but they're really fun people to talk to when it comes to music, Because um, yeah. they've got a music school; that's what they do. They've got a music school in Wilston, yeah, um, and they have kids there, and it's it's very good setup. Um, nice people, but they yeah deaf cap for cutie.
1: Well, I do have an interesting story about them. Um, so I, I met a I met a girl in um, in Spain. Uh, and she was an American and so wh- I went and lived in Canada and did a ski season there mm. and I thought oh you know I'll go down and see it. we're just friends um, so you know I, I went down to uh, I forget the name of the town but it was essentially a university town near Seattle um, and stayed at their place and you know they had this basement and things like that and she goes and um, apparently the the house was the ex house where Death Cab Cutie used to practice so they used to one of the members used to live in this house and they used to practice in this basement um, under the house, so I thought that was a pretty interesting story um, Yeah,
0: very interesting Very. Um, so I guess uh, the other thing, just a couple of things that, to note um, one, one thing that I've been to the last couple of years, I know you're sort of into your music, um, which is on at the start of September. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of Big Sound. Have you ever heard of Big Sound? No, no I haven't. What is it? So, Big Sound, um, again, it's. it's uh, so, what happens in the valley just over here, Or just over there? They've got about. There's about 20 music venues, really small music venues that participate in this thing called Big Sound. It runs really yeah, okay. three days. It's a Tuesday, it's a Wednesday, it's a Thursday night usually 8 till midnight um, they get uh, a lot of bands that are probably unknown yeah. so a lot of them are are um, not for, you mm-hmm. usually have a couple that you might have heard of like Triple J on Triple J, they may have played them on Triple J, maybe 5-10% of the yeah. bands on the list but this is where all these bands come in. You know, this bit like your example Mary Street or wherever, yeah. that, you know, where they sort of became famous, a lot of famous people like Flume and have heard of Flume probably, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, they started at Big Sound. So they started, this is where they first, before anyone knew who they were, they were playing at Big yeah. Sound. Um, and in recent years, uh, you know, there's been some ones that have done really, really well. Um, that have, You know, the winners of the Triple J's Hottest 100, two years ago, Ocean Alley, they were playing at Big Sound. So yeah. it's it's a very good, uh, and you can get an $85 ticket for all three days and you can go wherever you want to go. Yeah. And, um, go to whatever venue to see who listen to whoever it's, it's just go from one place to the other it's yeah so it's um you know, you know it could be going from the Met to to the Elephant to the Famous to the Family all the that sounds great it's, uh, so I look forward to doing it again but um it's what I mentioned it it's it's uh it's very good um if you like that sort of thing um the other thing coming up um next Thursday which uh from about four o'clock, and it's, it's a recommend if you're not uh, doing anything then. It's free. Um, yeah, obviously, King Street is up here, not that f- you know where King Street is, yes, in the valley? yes. So, King Street, they've got um, the Valley Chamber of Commerce are running um, a business festival. Oh, excellent! So, business, it's free to go. There's about uh, there'll probably be at least um, Murray tells me at least 30 exhibitors, um, so different businesses in the, in the area or that are members of the, the Valley Chamber. Um, that's really good. And there'll be about four uh, speakers there doing a bit of a QA and a on a stage, actually yeah. turned one into a podcast. They like, turned it into a podcast Wonderful. last year in September. Uh, Disney, if know, sort of, people like Philip DeBella was yeah. here last year, the coffee guy. I, don't know, if you,
1: you know. I know him very well. I know, well, not know him very well, but know of him very well. He's a very successful man.
0: So his, his uh, comments about different things were very... Yeah, very interesting. Always he's, insightful. He's and he's off doing his own New York sort of projects at the moment, which is quite interesting.
1: If uh, if the Americans need anything, it's good coffee. So. Uh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, that's exactly right. His his was a even more of a service business as to a you know um, product. Of, you know his was a service. That's what made it you know, so successful. Di back in yeah. you know in the last uh, twenty years and how it all was sort of evolved. He sort of started from nowhere and became pretty big. Um, but that's the example of what's coming up at the business festival. Um, so yeah, always welcome. You should be should come along maybe to that event, or come along to a Valley Chamber event just to see what it's like. Yeah. Uh, but before, let's let talk a bit about what you're currently doing. So, uh, Bounce Financial. It's been only it's been going since October last year. Is that correct?
1: No. So the, the Bounce Financial has been around for five years. Although so
0: you've been involved since then.
1: Yeah. So so my wife and I, um, we wanted to set this up um, and we we started it five years ago in that she left her job and I kept working to support the early stages of a young business which obviously the cash flow is tight you know this very well I imagine Um, but yeah last year I had the opportunity to leave my job and start the business full-time so that was great Um, but prior to that I was trying to do little bits here and there but it's hard to really get too involved when you've got a full-time corporate lawyer job (laughs) yep yeah, mm. but um, so we're a like we're a business that specialises in providing advice to people generally between thirty five to forty five. We like to say young professionals, but you know there is a wider range than that. Um, and where we specialise is really giving advice to people that are going through financial transitions in their lives. So things like they're buying houses, they're getting married, they're having children, they're trying to figure out how they're going to afford private school. Things are going up and down in their finances, and they're trying to figure out. What's this going to look like for us, and what do we need to do?
0: Mm. Mm. So it's a bit of a niche here. It's a bit of a niche that you've sort of identified. <laughs> Have you found um, there's certainly, I mean, a lot of different markets, and I'd imagine that particular market, there would certainly be uh, enough qualified uh, leads for different people, yes. or businesses, uh, etc. Obviously, you're dealing with people at an individual level, I assume, though, sort of as an individual personal finance sort of, Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. so we do have a lot of clients that actually have businesses. That's actually a very common thing for us. Um, But we focus on their personal finances. And yes, business comes into it because, you know, when you're investing in your business, you're still investing. Um, So we do have the discussions about, okay, well, how much is going to be invested into the business? How much are we going to take outside of the business and invest it personally and try and grow your wealth that way? Um, But yeah, our big thing is sort of what is coming up in your life and how do we navigate that? Um, and having, I guess, such a, a, a group that we have identified, we can get a very deep understanding of them and what they're going through. Um, so for a lot of our clients, you know, they're going through maternity leave periods. You know, we know exactly how much they're getting paid from Centrelink, how much time they're going to have off work, what returning is going to look like, how much daycare is going to cost, those sorts of things. Yep. Um, navigating them can be a bit challenging.
0: Yep. A bit about the structuring that about, so what sort of, how does the authority, the authorised representative licensing and all that sort of stuff work? How does that work? Of
1: course the accountant asks that question when it comes to structuring. I I love it, I love it. Um, So we have uh, what's referred to as a dealer group. So um, they're they're synchronised business services, their name. Okay, Um, And so the dealer group, um, what it does is it deals with a lot of the licensing issues, the the payment issues, things like that, Um, and then they authorise us as representatives to do it. Now, in terms of... um, it's a bit of a unique system. I, I don't think it's very common in other industries. Um, it's,
0: it's of its own accord, uh, the way I see it,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a bit unique. Um, but in terms of how it works, it's, I kind of see it a little bit like any service relationship. You know, we're, we're paying them for their um, mm. assisting us with things. And they, they're really great. They really do help us with a lot of things, so. so
0: how did you find um, the, the Kaplan stuff? Didn't you Did all the... You went through the Kaplan? Yeah,
1: so uh, I've got an ever-growing list of uh, education that I've been doing. So I've obviously got my law degree. Um, I did a graduate diploma in legal practice uh, to become a lawyer. Um, I went and did a diploma of financial planning, which is the qualifications to become a financial planner, or was at that time. Um, I went and did an advanced diploma after that, um, and now the education requirements are changing for financial advisors. So at this stage, I'm looking to do a graduate diploma of financial planning. So, trying to get the full set. Um. Yes,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to a um, I'm going I'm going to Sydney on Friday actually to an all day conference. Hour. Yeah. Um, our licensed uh, provider, because we we we've got a specialised license for just providing s- uh, advice in self-managed super fund space. Yes. Predominantly, um, so they're offering a full day, um, a full day sort of uh, PD professional development day, yeah, I guess you awesome. call it. So, um, I guess it's, it's not the greatest time that you to do it, but you've got to do it, and it's you know yeah. pick a Friday, make we make up for it. You know, the next day or, or, or something like
1: that. I think in business you there's never a great time to do anything. <laughs> you know, you're you're always uh, busy.
0: <laughs> that's that's uh, that's exactly right, that is that is for sure. So tell me a bit about uh, with, with Bounce and, and the way you sort of you're doing stuff, what sort of technologies are you using uh, in that sort of business? I mean, are you, have you got everything, is everything sort of on the cloud? Is there much paper involved?
1: Yeah, so we're uh, we're big on technology. We think that the value of technology can bring to a financial advice practice is huge. Um, I think the average age of a financial planner out there is somewhere in the 50s. Um, so traditionally, financial advice hasn't incorporated a ton of technology. It's been very paper-based and we're trying to move away from that. Um, we try and use technology to gather information in a way that makes it more seamless for the client. So if you sit down with a client and you say, well, you know, how much do you spend on this? How much do you spend on that? Like it it removes a lot of the value of financial advice because you're kind of forcing them to do the work. Um, So what we do is we lean on things. So we have... um, an app that we use called My Prosperity
0: yes
1: Um, and this app is what's called a wealth aggregator so what it does is it pulls in all your bank feeds um, from your different banks it pulls in your super feeds it pulls in details about your insurances and puts all your stuff in one place which for a lot of people is actually a really useful thing in itself in that find
0: it yes yeah
1: um, because you know you're kind of not sure where your super is you're not sure what's happening it gives you a a number and says this is your net worth this is what it looks like and tomorrow it'll look different um, the benefit of this too is we're we're really big on identifying how much your life costs to live and making sure that money is set aside for that. So we'll use this app to put in, I guess, what we have estimated your cost of living at. And then every quarter we'll track that and say, okay, yes, you're tracking against it or you're spending a little bit more than we expected. And we'll use that to adjust the financial plan. And that's where the real value is, is that I don't have to be harassing a client going, hey, what are you spending money on this month? Um, I can say, hey, look, I know. That this is coming up in your life, how can we help you? And that's what we mm. want to do.
0: Yeah, so just uh, My Prosperity, I've used it, I, I'm familiar with the, the program, oh, awesome. it's, it's great. Um, the real time network net assets is, is really great. The yes. storage, you know, if you're storing tax returns, I'm glad clients to access that. Mm. Uh, insurance policies that can go in there as well, wills that be able to incorporate that. There's also a bit of financial planning stuff in there as well. Is the financial planning stuff that they've got in there quite good, or is, it, does, is there anything they need to do in that aspect?
1: So it's it's a new technology, and it's ever-developing. So in yeah. this space, we're, we're seeing changes near monthly, um, and it's getting better and better. Um, there are competitors to it. Um, so there's one called MoneySoft, um, which is also improving all the time. And... Um, uh, this this month, the government has introduced a thing called open banking, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with. So open yeah,
0: I'm sort of familiar, but haven't seen it sort of too much in action.
1: Yet. So the way these technologies work is they use what's called screen scraping technology. So what they do is they essentially log into your account details, like your, your Commonwealth Bank account, for example... And they screen scrape all the details and then put it into their technology, which, as you can imagine, is is not a, a, a. It's quite reliable. They've actually done an amazing job of it, but it makes it a little bit challenging to really do some some great stuff with that data. Um, The the government has identified that these big behemoth banks having all the data and all the advantage in this area is probably not fair. So now there's an obligation on banks to make that data available if somebody uh, would like their data to be available to another provider. And this allows... you know you to be able to seek services from a third party like My Prosperity in a way that you know you can identify like a good example is is they can send that information off to multiple banks and get straight away here's you know your rate is your interest rate is higher than others or things like that so um, there's a lot going on in this space and I think there's a lot of opportunity to deliver some really good outcomes for clients
0: yeah no definitely it's it's, it certainly is changing the game a bit Uh, how long have you been sort of uh, using My Prosperity for
1: so we 've had my prosperity for probably just under two years from memory um, so it 's a relatively like when we yeah. started it just it, this sort of software kind of existed, but it wasn 't where it was now yep. um, so we have really we 've doubled down on it and incorporated a huge po- portion of it into our um, in, into our processes um, you know we We sort of have a bit of a view of bounce financial that um, super insurance very important you know investments very important. But there's a bit of an expectation that we as advisors should just know about it and should just be making it happen. The conversations we wanna have with our clients is, what do you wanna spend your money on? What are, you, what are you spending it on now what do you want to spend on in the future and how do we make that happen that's mm-hmm. I think that's the value of financial advice do
0: you get sort of asked to do much in the way of personal financial budgeting work as well or not really, or is it something
1: that so we, ne- we incorporate it almost incorporate as part that. of our process so yeah. as part of our process what we do um, because we've got the My Prosperity app we know a lot about how much okay, life yeah, costs to live, yeah. right? So what we do is we send out before we sign them up um to the My Prosperity, and that's part of our ongoing service arrangement, we send them a survey which asks them very key questions and from there we can derive a budget or how much their life costs to live. So we might ask key things like do you have one car or two cars? I'm not gonna ask you how much your rego is, I'm not gonna ask you how much your insurance is, because I know exactly how much all those are on average. Um, you know, I'm not going to get them down to the dollar. doesn't yeah, need to okay. be that close. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I know those key questions, I can then come up with, here's your cost of living number. Mm-hmm. Now, for a lot of people, they've never gone through that exercise. They don't know how much their life costs to live. But I know exactly how much all of my clients' cost of life is. Yep. And, you know, I can give you averages. So, for example, our clients range, uh, taking into account our particular client niche, they tend to range between about eighty thousand to one hundred and sixty thousand dollars a year in yearly expenses. And well, this surprises true. a lot of people. You know, you talk to mortgage brokers and you go, "Okay, what are you seeing?" And It's like, "Well, the banks think it's sixty grand, but it's unrealistic in this modern age. Like, costs are quite expensive." Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. So generally, the average for our clients is is between a hundred to one hundred and twenty. Um, 120 of people who own their own home because the cost of owning a home plus mortgage repayments tends to, to move you up, whereas people who rent are closer to the 100,000, and that's a normal thing for a family.
0: Okay, that's some good, good, uh, good things to sort of uh, share, I guess, from your experience. That's really really quite interesting so we've a with statement of advices these days i mean how many pages is your average soa is it still very long or?
1: yeah so sadly our soa is still quite long um but we're constantly tinkering whether to try and put in more value so our our average sort of soa is probably close to 50 pages which seems like a lot but once you start yes. yeah. identifying that it is as you know like outlining somebody's entire financial world their entire financial future um you know you can quickly you can quickly get a a longer one so you know when we when we're talking about cash flow what we do is we actually run different scenarios so a client might come to me and say okay we're thinking about doing renovations. We're not sure if we're going to spend 200 or $300. we are thinking about maybe having another kid. We may want to move. Um, we may want to do private school. We're looking at this. We're looking at that. So what I do is I run a bunch of different scenarios and go, what does it look like if we do one of these things, if we do two of these things? If we do, you know, and so by writing all those scenarios, you can give guidance on what to do in the future, um, but that obviously takes up pages and makes the SOA a little bit longer.
0: And <laughs> so... Where you are in your business right now, what do you think is the biggest challenge that you're sort of facing on a reasonably regular basis that you're trying, you're doing your best to overcome at the moment?
1: So, we would love our business to be, I'm always trying to make my business as efficient as possible. So, we use technology not just for client facing things, but also for back office processes. Um, So, we use Trello. Um, and all of our processes are mapped out in Trello and are ticked off as they proceed through it. Uh, I'm a big believer that if you haven't mapped out your process, someone's going to forget something, and when you forget something in finance, money flows from it. So it's important that we have excellent checklists um, that we are all complying with, and it means we can provide a service where, um, you know, there's there's three staff in our office now that we can be moving all in and out of files very easily without having to ask the other person what's going on. Sorry, what, what was your question again? I got a bit lost on my no, response. Right.
0: It was a question, we were talking a bit about, about S- SOA's biggest challenges, I guess, was
1: Oh uh, well. yes, yeah. So um what I'm trying to do always is make make our processes work in together. So we use a lot of different types of technology. We've sort of hobbled them together to make them work for us. Um, and these don't always speak to each other. So there is there is software like Zapier and things that help them speak to each other. Um, but there are certain parts in our process where certain technologies won't communicate with others. And that's what we're really focusing on now, trying to, to make them even more efficient. Yep.
0: So a lot of people have mentioned Trello before. I haven't really looked at it uh, that much myself. How
1: long have you been using it? So we've probably been using Trello for maybe three and a half years. We didn't have it originally. Um, but, you know, as we started to grow out the office, as we hired people, you know, having the checklist and having the Trello process is really important. Uh, and we've found it great. It's, it's constantly improving. Um, again, you know, that's a common theme with all this technology is, sometimes you can't commit to coming up with too many systems because, you know, the next month it's going to be completely different um, and you've got to be willing to sort of roll with it as it goes.
0: Yep. Yeah. So I'm not sure if... I'll just mention this to you. What I've been sort of using for organisa- organising is sort of an analogue method developed by a guy called Ryder Carroll called the Bullet Journal Method. Have you ever heard of that?
1: Haven't. Tell me about
0: it. So what it is that you... And I sort of did a bit of a presentation on this uh, recently because I fascinated enough about it to sort of do a bit more, I guess, uh, research and uh, just look at a few things because uh, I always find that organising anybody's life is is, is a, it's a difficult process. It's yes. keeping organised when you when you're as busy as we are. What do you use to make sure you you know you're sort of looking after things and what you know what sort of ways can reinforce? So this guy called with ADD um, called Ryder Carroll. Yeah, uh, he came up with his own method of, of organizing stuff, so you look it up, the bullet journal method. Yeah, for um, sure. But you basically just a journal like this. Yeah. Um a lot of it's dots like that. And um you basically putting the day, you're doing like a, a, a whatever you've got that day, you write down what it needs to do, um and you use different symbols, so a dot for a task. Oh, okay. Um, use like a little tick. I use ticks for when I complete them. Little stars, for if they're important, or I will put a circle around them sometimes. Yeah. Um. If you would want like, different symbols to bring things to different parts, um, you can also sort of set up a bit of an index, which I've done there. So yeah. Um. I think so adding a visual element to your
1: your planning is important. Um. So you know, before in, in my old yeah yeah in my old job, I couldn't use Trello. That was wasn't allowed sort of thing. So I'd use Outlook tasks, and it's sort of it was so many words, whereas with Trello. Um, it allows so we have little boxes or little Mm. cards they refer to them for each task and it allows you to add different coloured labels that Mm. will have, you know, complete written on it in progress sort of thing. Similar to that system I imagine, seeing the immediately seeing those little graphics make things far
0: easier to sort of work. Some people that I've seen online, I've seen a couple, they really dress up the bloody they dress the book up and bloody colour it and all this sort of shit. But you know what I? And the other thing is, you just do lists. So, let's say, you listen to a song, hottest one hundred song in two thousand. Make a bit of a list, and then you got an index to refer to where that is. Yeah. Um, books to read. Um, yeah, you know, and then a little checklist for a job. Let's say it's a your, it's a little job, it's that you want you want to do your own checklist for. You can just do it up in here. Yeah. Uh, and then just do that. You know, movies that you want to see or TV series like Chernobyl. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yes, yeah, so it's it's good, and then just keeping notes uh, on a day to day basis. You can also have a future log, which sort of looks at things six months in advance. Yeah, um, a, a monthly log, left hand and side with the dates, right hand with goals that you want to achieve. That yeah. Month. So it's 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 a good little system. So I I think it's um, it's a good analog sort of also does a bit of reinforcing. I think as to you know your, even though your handwriting might be bad, yeah, you're reinforcing the. Um, task as
1: well. It depends on what you want it for, I guess. Like, yeah. from a work... Uh, so, for example, my assistant's been sick this week. She's quite sick. Um, you know, we all have our own individual daily Trello boards that we, we work through. You know, I can immediately see hers and see what she was meant to do that yep, day. so it's all shared. Yeah, it's all shared. Um,
0: well, this is not obviously... <laughs>
1: yeah, and if I'm off sick, she can go into my list and be like well yeah. what was he planning to achieve today is there anything i can do here mm-hmm. or do i need to yeah. to make plans for it so i find that quite useful but i, I think I, I i enjoy writing i enjoy writing things down too um yep. but more on a personal level i guess i th- that's where they're really valuable because they do provide reinforcement i
0: guess yeah definitely And no. mm-hmm. so um i guess as far as uh, where you've been around the world what's probably the most interesting place that you've sort of visited traveled you know
1: yeah, so I I love to travel. I've I've been um I, I'm gonna say a fair few places, but you know everyone sort of travels a fair bit now, so it's probably pretty average. Um, you know I lived in the UK. I sort of travelled through Europe um, and did that. I lived in Canada and sort of did a little yeah, bit of. I've
0: never done Canada. I'm jealous of that
1: one. Oh, it's a it's a beautiful place, and it's it's really. Uh, we I lived on a ski hill there, and uh, it's just it was a, a an amazing experience. Um, I've been in Japan a couple of times. I quite oh. like Japan. Um, Hawaii. My wife and I have a bit of a soft spot for Hawaii. Um, we just went to Bali, um, which I quite like as well. And, and we're off to uh, New York and Washington DC at the end of the year. So Christmas uh, or no. So we're going in September. We're going for a uh, financial planning conference called FinCon. It's, okay. Yeah. Have you ever heard of
0: it? No. I can okay, just imagine FinCon.
1: Yeah, so so in the US they've really got a culture of um, finance bloggers and people who are sort of in the finance industry but aren't necessarily financial planners Uh, and FinCon seems to be very tailored to them. So uh, the thing we quite like, you know, you do go to conferences and, you know, hear about the latest things in financial planning but FinCon sort of offered a different opportunity to sort of you know, see what people are doing to inspire people to take action with their money. You know, like a blogger is inspiring someone to to do something, and you know, they've got a lot of pot. They're big on podcasts; that's a, a yeah. big thing there. So, yeah, really looking forward to going to that. And I Washington D.C. I've never been to before, um, so I'm really looking forward to that. But I've been in New York, um,
0: but you,
1: you just you can't not have a good time in New York. So,
0: I guess what are your sort of uh, goals for Bounce uh, going forward? I mean, are you sort of looking at growing it? At- in a fairly big way, or are you just looking at a sort of, what is your, I guess, what, what do you see in five years?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I, I like to think of a business in terms of uh, thresholds, so in terms of where we wanted to be. So, you know, when we started our business, it was my wife leaving her, her corporate job to, to start the uh, start the business, and then the, the goal was hire an employee, so we hired an admin assistant, and then the goal was me joining. Um, and so now we're, we're, we're sort of on the lookout for another employee, uh, which will grow us to, to four in total, including ourselves, um, and that person would be sort of a power planner or, or somewhere in between an admin assistant and a, um, a financial advisor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at that stage, I really want to refine where we're at. You know, really work out that model, um, and then we can look to whether we want to replicate that. Um, You know, I do, my wife and I, we are the only financial advisors in the office, uh, which is a bit of a disaster if we want to go on holidays, because we tend to want to do them with each other. So maybe introducing another advisor and another sort of set of like assistant stuff would be quite helpful in that regard. Yeah, definitely.
0: It's just something interesting. I mean, when I sort of um, obviously first heard your name, you always think, well, that's, you know, it's sort of. Two first names in a way, Ben and Brett. Yes, it's, um, and you probably got this. I'm sure you got this over the over the years. I remember I had a, I had a friend of mine um, growing up. Um, he, he's, he's, his name was. He had two first names. He had Adrian Dale. Was his? Yeah, okay. And he didn't like it. He, he sort of really. He got turned off enough by it that he actually changed his last name. Really? What so, did
1: he change it to?
0: Um, <laughs> you get a laugh when you hear this, but. La Croix. So Adrian, oh, he went, you
1: went all out.
0: Adrian La So when he was about early, mid, early twenties, he changed his name from Adrian Delta to Adrian La This guy man. is a, he's a bit of a nutball, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> But um, what, what do you think about when, when you sort of think about your name and that? I mean, you just accept for, for what it is and that's that's you? Or, yeah,
1: it, like it causes confusion. I do get called Brett a lot. Um, yeah. But yeah, right. it's yeah. it's fine. It, it doesn't bother me in the slightest if someone calls me Brett. I'm like, oh, that's close enough. Um, my wife, on the other hand, if she gets called Brett, I, I really do have to question <laughs> what's going on there. She gets it a bit in emails. I'll say, oh, hello, Brett. And she's like, well... I, actually... It's a bit of a boy's name, but uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's come up a bit over the years. Um, yeah, p- people can't really handle the two first names
0: sometimes. <laughs> no, it was just a funny story for what I'd share, and he, this guy, he, he's got a crazy history. I won't go into it here on the podcast, obviously. It's a bit uh, yeah. it's a bit uh, interesting, but yeah, I'm not sure what he's up to these days. Well, I've
1: never really considered change
0: here. That <laughs> no. hasn't bothered me that much. <laughs> no. no, that's fair enough we might sort of end it on sort of that note I guess Ben it's been great to get the podcast going again after a month and uh, it's it's really good to have you uh, as the guest here today um, I think uh, you've, you've certainly got a fascinating enough story and uh, you know just coming from Bribey Island um, you know that's, that's something unique to not too many people mm. um, and then coming here in Brisbane but I guess uh, with Brisbane itself, what, what do you sort of really like about this part of the world that's, as a way of finishing off, I guess? So I love Brisbane.
1: I, you know, having lived in a couple of different places, not a huge amount, but you really come to appreciate what Brisbane has to offer. So, you know, Brisbane is still an affordable place to live. I look at many of my clients are in Sydney that are trying to get entry-level homes for over a million dollars. Here I am living in a, a house that's 10 kilometres from the city and sort of significantly cheaper than that with a pool um, you know I always describe Brisbane as sort of 10 years ago was a little bit of a cultural wasteland we didn't really have a lot of things but every week it seems like we're getting something new you know new restaurants new bars new microbreweries you know things like Big Sound um, Brisbane is the place to be and I think everyone knows it now yeah,
0: there's a lot here Yeah, you're right um, business is great it's just everything Every what you, what you will find I mean is that you'll pretty know you Run into people you, and you talk a few different names, they'll know that person, and yeah, it's easy to connect the dots. Yeah, it's easy to connect the dots here in Brisbane. Um, you know, it's it's really it's a really small, really small place considering the number of people that live here, and yeah. the amount of people that uh, you'd have shared LinkedIn connections with, for example. as you know.
1: and and we seem to support each other. I find Brisbane yeah, people very see, supportive of you know, each other. It's,
0: it's a Queenslander mentality for a lot of us as yeah. well, even though a lot of us. Like us too, not from Queensland, but but, um, we, you know, we call ourselves Queenslanders because we've been here for for um, twenty plus years. Yeah, uh, but it's been great to have you on. And uh, thanks for having me, Tim. uh, We'll try to get this uploaded so you can uh, share it around. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Bye.